Good to see you all. Ah, I love being together. I uh, hope you're doing well. Hope you got to, you know, frost your windshields. Those who are at home, all cozy, heating your, your cozy bacon. Mm, cozy bacon. Uh, all right, if you have a Bible, this is where we're at. We are studying the, second, the book of 2 Corinthians. And um, before we get into that, I have this flyer right here on my pulpit because I want to remind you uh, this Saturday, we're having our fall festival. There's going to be games, prizes. Uh, you can pie the pastor. So I'm going to be there for three hours getting pied. So yeah, you can do that for Jesus, you know, on Saturday. Even if you want to come just for the pie part, I bless you with that. You can do it. Uh, but really excited about that. So you can sign up on the website. Just go to theshorechurch.ca and you can see all the info there. Uh, and then just another reminder, we have a members class November 8th. And so if you're learning, if you wanted, like maybe you're new to the ministry or maybe you've been tuning in for a while, uh, we will, it'll be in person and on YouTube. So if you want to attend that, that would be really, really helpful. If you're wanting to learn what is the church, uh, what do we believe, where do we land on certain things, and just what does it mean to be all in with your gifts where God's put you. Uh, so that's what that's all about. But uh, okay, so 2 Corinthians, we're, st- we're in chapter 4. Is that exciting? I'm excited about it. Um, we got to hang out and just thankful for uh, Niles and his team. Got to hang out with all the community group leaders yesterday morning, and it was really encouraging uh, to hear many of them are actually studying the passage ahead of time uh, and then, you know, uh, being ready for this. So you guys are all going to be, you're pre-ready. I'm really excited about that. So that was encouraging to me. Uh, let, let me pray, and then we'll get into it. Uh, Jesus, I just thank you. Thank you that you're here. I just, I thank you that, um, that you have brought us in this room uh, to really meet with a person, Lord, who you, upon hearing the good news, brought light. You brought the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And we now live by the Spirit. We now live life with you life where you are really inside us and you are forming us and you are intimately loving us and uh, we're just we really want to meet with you and uh, Lord I just I pray Father that just any distractions or any like discouragement that we would feel from our week or even just how we're doing with you, it would just be met with your love. Like I just, I pray your love, like First John 4 says, that we would come to know and believe the love that God has for us. May we, may we come to know more and believe your love. And I pray that we would uh, really listen to the Spirit this morning. And so Holy Spirit, I ask that you would now fill this room, would you just now come, Holy Spirit? And Father, I just just ask that you would bless me with just a anointing of the gifts you've given me, so that there would be demonstration of power and of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. All right. Um, let's read our passage and then we'll get into it. But let me give you just a quick 
where, we're, where we are at in kind of Paul's flow of thought. One, one, we said last week and maybe really two weeks before that, that, uh, excuse me, I got to clear my throat a lot today. <coughs> Don't worry, I have no symptoms. Um, other than the clearing of my throat, said the nurses. Okay, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so really, Paul's been saying that like the new covenant, <coughs> which is believing in Jesus the Messiah, that Jesus has really come, that he died in our place for our sin, that when you trust in Jesus, you believe in him, the new covenant is that God's presence now comes within you and you become righteous. You, you have his righteousness in you. You are now being formed. You are now being changed. That if you're a believer, uh, you are not standing still. That, that, that when you're a believer, you're kind of transported in, into and maybe more cautiously aware of the secret kingdom of which we as Christians live and move and have our being. Like Christ is in us and the kingdom of God is coming through us. That we are the church. It's, we're like this living body of Christ. It's incredible of the new covenant, which was very different than the old covenant. And so you're, you are becoming. So if you're a Christian, the big idea is you're... You're moving towards this final and glorious state to become like Jesus. And so Paul left off, and this is the last thing he said. He says, uh, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. He's like, the Spirit's really doing this work into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Uh, And this takes us right into our text. So let's read it together. Uh, I'll read it and then you can just follow along. Okay, he says this. Therefore, excuse me, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said... Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, so if you're taking notes, uh, here's where we're going. I'm going to give you our points so you can at least follow my train of thought as I'm teaching this passage. Um, and And here it is. When we're ministering the new covenant, okay, when we're lifting up Christ, because what we do is we lift up Jesus, what he has done on the cross. When we're lifting, when we're ministering the new covenant in the spirit, Paul's going to show us today there, there's three things. There's a new help for discouragement, like a real new help for discouragement. Number two, there's integrity with sharing God's word. And third, when we're ministering the new covenant in the spirit, there's a call for us to let out the light of the glory of Christ. Just let it out. It is glorious. Just get it out. Um, So that's where we're going. Uh, So number one, there's new help for discouragement. Just look, take your beautiful eyes and look at at the first verse, verse one again. We're going to camp in this verse for a while. He says this, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. 
Uh, you, you can sense, and commentators agree, that in, in saying this, putting a therefore, after he just described this glorious new covenant of power in the spirit through the gospel, it's likely he's addressing uh, some form of accusation from them. Remember, he's defending himself throughout this letter. And so more than likely there's an accusation out there against Paul that's basically saying, hey, Paul, uh, you're, you're either like you've lost some heart. That's why you're not coming back to us. Or maybe you're getting depressed. Uh, we don't really know what the accusation was. But let me just say this. It is not uncommon, uh, especially in ministry, uh, to lose heart. It's not uncommon. Uh, Charles Spurgeon in a chapter called, this is the best title for a chapter, The Minister's Fainting Fits. He talks about pressures uh, on Christian ministers to lose heart. And it's a big quote, but he says this. Uh, Our work, when earnestly undertaken, lays us open to attacks in the direction of depression. Who can bear the weight of souls without sometimes sinking to the dust? Passionate longings after men's conversion, if not fully satisfied, and when are they, consume the soul with anxiety and disappointment. To see the hopeful turn aside, the godly grow cold, professors abusing their privileges, and sinners waxing more bold in sin. Are not these sights enough to crush us to the earth? The kingdom comes not as we would. The reverend named is now is not hollowed as we desire. And for this we must weep. How can we be otherwise than sorrowful while men believe not our report and the divine arm is not revealed? All mental work tends to weary and to depress, for much study is a weariness of the flesh, but ours is more than a mental work. It is a heart work, the labor of our inner, our inmost soul. Such soul travail as that of a faithful minister will bring on occasion seasons of exhaustion when heart and flesh will fail. You know, and and how how many of you know, and maybe you're there today, it is, it's easy to lose heart. You know, it's, um, let me ask you this. How do you, just think, you know, your own life, how do you fight discouragement? How do you get help for discouragement? Or do you? I mean, some will just, you know, let discouragement sink in and it becomes a part of this unfiltered heaviness. Um, and I want you just to think about that while I'm, I'm teaching, uh, because maybe later I want you to ask the Father, what's the next step in your helping and healing in this? So hold that for a second, but, but you have to stay in this text with me, because praise God, this text actually says there's help. And I mean, seriously, and I, and I, I mean this very sincerely, if anyone has a right to be discouraged... Like, if anyone can throw the victim, like, oh, I'm down, uh, it, like they would be Paul. I mean, think about all that he endured in his life and ministry. And we're going to look at some of them next week. But, like, I mean, just think of his life, the beatings, the, the, the starving nights, the shipwrecks. You know, it was Paul. But here, he literally shows us, and we'll see more next week, that he happily is saying he's not discouraged. Like, he says, we do not lose heart. He's not, like, being sarcastic. He's really saying that. So here's the question I want to ask. Uh, How 
do we overcome discouragement? Okay, that would be a good thing to learn because this passage tells us and it gives us two helps. It gives us two helps. Here's the first. First help if you want to overcome discouragement in ministry um, and in a lot of parts of your life. The first is he rightly sees the ministry is one of all the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here's how where he gets help. He rightly sees the ministry is one of all the Spirit. Had Paul being called and commissioned to a ministry devoid of the Spirit's presence, I doubt he would have persevered at all. Right? Like, like I, I doubt at all he would have kept going. But Paul kept in step with a real living dynamic presence of God within him, the person of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's key. He says, therefore, what's the key here? He says, having this ministry... It's this ministry that I don't lose heart. This ministry of the spirit behind the new covenant, that's how I don't lose heart. In Romans 14, 17, we read this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace. And what's, what's the next part? And joy in the Holy Spirit. Right, this ministry, he just had this joy in the Holy Spirit. This is specific ministry that the Spirit is doing. He, he just had all his chips on the Holy Spirit. How many of you know, let me just ask you, those of you who have been in ministry a while, um, you know the tiredness that comes when you're working in your own strength apart from the Spirit, right? It's exhausting. Without the presence of the Spirit, it's exhausting. Trying to do the work of God in the flesh, flesh isn't just hard, it's not just sluggish or even self, like, you know, that disease of introspection. It's damaging to others. It really is. But when we stop and we give up and we just say, like, come Holy Spirit, I, I want right now, we want as a community or wherever you're at in this conversation, we want to fully collaborate with you as our full sufficiency and then just rest in that and wait and trust in his presence, leaning on Jesus' ability, Jesus' care. There's a ministry that you can trust and not lose heart. Because even if nothing happens and you're completely resting and trusting in the spirit, then you know it was the spirit's waiting. Okay, just stay with me a little longer here. Imagine had this ministry that Paul's talking about in verse 1, being one characterized by legalism, right? A ministry energized by human effort, you know, like law and, and sacrifices. And rather than the power of the spirit, he would have been burnt out. Like had this ministry, had he thought that those who embrace Jesus as Lord would be left to themselves, dependent on their own resources. Had he thought like, once you give your life to Jesus, this is all on you without any guarantee of an inward presence, enablement of life and freedom, that would be exhausting because then he would be the one who's like, I got to carry this for them. But he could just trust that the spirit was the spirit. He could just trust that the spirit is in Calvin and the spirit will do the job. That's very freeing. So let me say this, what's going to sustain us as a church and in ministry is exactly what sustained Paul. At least in part, it was the fact that he proclaimed a gospel message of grace that came with the assurance of the Spirit's transforming and real presence. That's how you, lose, that's how you don't lose heart. So here's what I want to do. I actually want to confess to you. I want to confess. Um, and I want to ask for your forgiveness. So I don't know how this is going to work. You guys can just nod as if you want to forgive me. 
But I want to ask your forgiveness for many times where uh, I loved you and I served you. And I, I genuinely love being your pastor, but I did it without the Spirit. Like, I think there were many times where all you got was James. And I want to ask for your forgiveness for that. And I know, like, I know the Spirit can use me when I'm, you know, just operating with James. Because he's the Spirit and he loves it and he can do that. But I just want to sincerely confess that. And I, it's funny, I've been... I've been at different times with my staff asking for their forgiveness for the same thing, where I came in and I had all these kind of James decisions and James kind of just shoots from the hip ideas and I wasn't collaborating with the Spirit. I wasn't walking in the Spirit. I was just giving spiritual direction and giving advice without a deep trusting in the Spirit, bringing in with me a prayerful attitudinal surrender to the Spirit and uh, let me just say to you, there were times where, and you'll, you'll know this if you've been in ministry at all, where you walk away actually losing heart from a, good, from a meeting. And you're like, why am, I, why am I losing heart? And a lot of it was flesh, you-centered, man-centered, let's get this thing done. Let's wit, like, and you lose heart. But Paul's like, if it's all the spirit, we do not lose heart. That's exciting. Okay? Don't you just, I'm just, I think it's really cool. Don't you just love the Holy Spirit? Yeah, we should, you know what, we should tell him that. Why don't right now we just tell the Holy Spirit, you can just say out loud, I love you, Holy Spirit. Go ahead. Yeah, we should say that more because he's, he's God. We, this is really exciting. I want joy in you, Holy Spirit. Yes, amen. Okay, second way to overcome discouragement um, is remembering yourself as being fully and wholly a recipient of his mercy. Um, let me say this, if you read Paul's letters, what you'll continuously find in them is what flushes out discouragement for Paul was God's mercy. Like, like okay, we're going to be in this verse for a while, but look at, look at verse 1 again. Therefore, having this ministry, what does he say next? By the mercy of God. We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. It was because of God's mercy. Do you guys remember when Paul, or where Paul was, when Jesus and the light of the glory of Jesus really visited him and interrupted his life and, and rescued him and called him into a life of following him? Do you, know where he, do you remember where he was? Acts chapter 9. He was on his way to murder followers of Jesus. He was on his way to persecute Jesus' family as a devout moral Pharisee. And in his letter to Timothy, he writes this. Listen to what he writes in Timothy. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but what does he say? I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So think about this, like us, like James Bonney, Paul was a recipient of mercy. Uh, he certainly did not deserve to be a minister of the gospel of grace. He did not deserve or have anything that 
he deserved the new life of the Spirit, a new covenant. He did not deserve the divine power and promise. Um, let me say it this way. God is not obligated to Paul. God is not obligated to James Bonney. He owes him nothing. Like he owes me nothing, but in his sovereign love and mercy, he brought his light in. I just, I so appreciated the words of one pastor this week. He said this, it'll be on the screen. If you should ever think that your position in the kingdom of God is a reward rather than a gift, there will be little to sustain you in seasons of hardship and anguish. Only so far as you confess that although you deserved eternal death, you instead received eternal life, will you find power to persevere. That's really good. If you should ever think that your position in the kingdom of God is a reward rather than a mercy, there will be a little to sustain you in seasons of hardship. Like, so you might ask, like, well, how does this work? Like, practically on the ground in my heart. Think about it this way. If in all your being with Jesus and doing what Jesus did is rooted in a, in a heart attitude that it's by the mercy of God, you can't really take credit for it. Because all mercy. And, and even if you, or even complain about how you've been treated. Because it's all mercy. And that's what really shaped him to not lose heart. He's like, it's just mercy that I'm in this with him and I have this new life in the spirit. Uh, I love the way John the Baptist responds to his disciples. He says this in John 3, uh, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. That's true of us. Like that's true of our lives. And, and then Paul says later, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as, you, as if you did not receive it? Uh, it's mercy. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So that, for like, like sure, those who are in ministry, many of you are, we're all ministering as followers of Jesus. If you find yourself losing heart, go back to verse one and remember, this is a ministry of the Spirit and remember, it was the mercy of God. And that should bring, with the Spirit's help, a lot of encouragement. All right, so number two, when we're ministering the new covenant, as Paul in context is doing, and we're lifting up Christ in the Spirit, there's integrity in sharing God's word. There's integrity. Listen to what he, just right here in verse two. So he says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He says we've renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. Literally, uh, this reads the hidden things of shame. This speaks to integrity, um, his, his integrity began with the conviction that there was no part of their writing, there was no part of their preaching or their sharing or their being with the Corinthian church that was secretive or that was shameful or had like, hey, let's do this to get this from them. There was none of that. Furthermore, he says, we will not tamper with the Bible. We're not going to tamper with its authority, with God's word, its message. And I think it's okay for us, you know, in a sermon like this, we should ask, both reflecting personally uh, but as, you know, a warning, ask the question, why do people tamper with God's word? 
Have you ever thought of that? Why do people tamper with God's word? Well, you know, the easy answer would be, you know, sin and power, and, and that's all biblical and true. Um, and cunning, you know, it's interesting, cunning is actually a word that Paul uses later for how Satan was cunning with Eve. Very deceptive, twists it. Um, and so where do we see this in the church? Well, as a whole, let me say a few things. People uh, often tamper with God's word either to hold on to or expand their power base. So, so they tamper with God's word. Maybe it's to, they find popularity in a certain truth. So maybe all of a sudden they, they grew a platform on, on emphasizing a certain truth and they started out so good and then, and then they had all these followers and they had to keep that base and so they had to twist some things, they had to tamper with it. They didn't wanna offend or drop off any of their popularity or followers, you know. Um, and others will remove passages out of context then will we'll try to push this agenda through one way you'll know if someone is tampering with God's word is when they consistently, when you're with them or you're under their preaching and you're like, ah, that doesn't say that. You, you'll, you'll read your Bible and you'll go, hmm, 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 right? You'll be like, this isn't there. Now, let me say a few things. There is freedom in the spirit. So you have to like, you know, give people grace as a, as a teacher, a pastor, or a friend, maybe in a community group. Let, let's say that they're reading a text and, and maybe they don't have that kind of studying it in the historical context and seeing how a story fits together. And they just, man, God just, they read a verse and they were like, this is what it means. And you gotta, like, let's be gracious and, and careful. Also, you know, like pastors will, as the spirit leads them, they will go down roads um, that the spirit wants them to go down. But listen, the key is they, they're not using a text to say, apart from the spirit, this will make me look good. I don't want the culture to hate me. This will build my platform. This will grow my self-righteousness. This will make me popular. There's a difference. A spirit-filled tangent and a, hmm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just not say this and focus on this. One of the reasons why, by the way, we are committed to like preaching through books of the Bible is because um, if you only did topical series, you could just pick the ones, and I'm not saying those who do that are, you know, tampering. Please don't hear me say that. Um, but it's just, it's safe. You're gonna preach through the whole counsel of God. Uh, and other people tamper with God's word to avoid controversy. How many of you know people like that? Or discomfort. Right, they, they don't want, you know, that awkward conversation. So they'll be like, well, that was back then. You know, like they, this, this is how the culture was back then. And so we, we tamper with it by changing its timeless truth and its inerrancy. Um, now, I, I, I don't wanna stay here too long because Paul in this text, to stay in the text, does not criticize or address any of those. All he says in this text is we refuse to do that. But let me say, in light of the context of the new covenant, I'm going to address one thing, okay? You guys are all with me, right? Universal symbol. I know, I can tell. Um, and so Jesus, just I pray this would land well and nothing could be uh, not heard right in Jesus' name. 
in light of the context, any attempts to remove Jesus on the cross, doing what Jesus came willingly to be our substitute and to pay in our place the judgment for sin, forgiving us and rising to give us this new covenant in Christ, in his blood, the fullness of life in the spirit, any removal of that is tampering with God's word. Any attempts, let me put it another way, to dethrone or deny the unadulterated sharp edge of the message of the cross in which Jesus has in our place propitiated the wrath of God, of a holy God, is in my opinion a work of cunning. Theologians call this penal substitutionary atonement. Any attempts at removing that from the centrality of the gospel I believe is tampering with God's word and goes against what Jesus said in Matthew 26 where he said this, drink my blood, this new covenant, it is for the forgiveness of sins. So that's what I will preach on. But let me just ask us, because I know we're in here to just meet with Jesus and not try to feel good about our theology. Um, Do you tamper with God's word? And, and, like, is this you? And as someone who's been in pastoral ministry for 16 years, man, I feel old, um, when, when Jesus talks about the Bible, when he talks about proclaiming and sharing and using the word of God, do you know what, you know what analogy he most often used to describe the sharing of the word? Seeds. All the parables are farmer, cultivating. They're farmer, they're seeds. They're not bullets. They're not bullets. The sufficiency is in the spirit. I find in the church a disgraceful way to handle the word of God is to use scripture like a sheriff rather than a gardener. When you begin to use God's word like a sheriff rather than a gardener, you're not trusting in the spirit's power within the word. Even Paul, he says, I what? Planted, Apollos watered. Who gave the growth? Let's all say it on the count of three. One, two, three. God gave the growth. Now, yes, Paul corrects his opponents. Paul tells Timothy to stay in Ephesus to really correct them. But how is he going to correct them? With bullets? Is he going to just start shooting? No, Paul tells him to correct with gentleness, respect, with the word of God. So let me encourage you, if you are a sheriff, you should ask. Don't, don't ask your wife, because she'll probably say you are. But you should probably ask her, or your husband, and hey, am I more like a gardener or a sheriff? Listen to what they say. And then ask Jesus to forgive you and to help you see the Bible as a bag of seeds, not a box of bullets, okay? Just something to pray about. Love you guys. All right, um, the next few verses I actually hit really extensively in our first sermon in the Victorious God series, but let me, let me share a few things on this. Um, here's the question. Why do some not believe? That's a good question. If the, if the Spirit's new life comes when we lift up Christ. So all Paul's saying is, I came and just told you about the new covenant. Spirit came in, applied it. It's beautiful. It's all the Spirit. But there are some, the accusation there are some within Corinth where they're like, hey, maybe Paul's ministry isn't that strong because not everyone who believed and got the spirit. 
And so Paul's gonna address, how come some don't believe? We'll look at verse three. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Again, I think there's an accusation, hey, some didn't believe. But what's Paul's point? He says this, the glory of the gospel of Jesus does not guarantee its acceptance. So what, if, what do we do if Satan is making every effort to actively blind the minds of unbelievers? What do we do if he's actively blinding the minds, uh, you know, perpetuating their bondage in spiritual darkness? Uh, as John 3 says, what they love the most, what do we do? Um, here's the third point in our sermon. We let the light out, okay? There's an invitation to proclaim and invoke the light of the glory of Christ. We lift Christ up. Look, Look at the text. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, now watch this, God says it, let light shine out of darkness. That's a creative sentence. He creates with his words, has shone in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We can't miss this. Don't miss this connection. The glory of God is present in the proclamation of the gospel. Our job is to just let the light out. The way God sovereignly shines his regenerating, that's new birth, new life, this life, light, and saving mercy into our hearts, thereby dispelling unbelief and hostility is by shining the light of the gospel of Jesus. We make Jesus known. That's our weapon. Demons can't stop that light. They will do everything to keep you from not bringing light, but they want to keep you in darkness. Because here's the truth. All of us are dead spiritually. All of us are born by nature uh, Ephesians 2 says, in darkness. Let me, let me show you this because that's my job. And you were dead, spiritually dead, dark, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Now watch where he links it. Think about what he just said in our passage. Following the prince of the power of the air. Demons, Satan, the whole kingdom of darkness, that the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience. So let me say a few things. Satan doesn't blind the minds of otherwise people who are truly wanting God. It's not like the person's waking up and they're like, I want God today and I want to get rid of all the stuff that I'm living for. And that's not in them. He's just trying to keep them in the darkness they're already in. He's trying to, he's, He's blinding them from even being around believers, distracting them with all the stuff they already love too much, compelling them. He's not trying to like, all he's doing is everything to block light. Let me say that. He blinds or aggravates the hardness of heart that's already there. So how does the veil come off? Well, look at this again when one turns to the Lord, as we said last week, but Ephesians goes on. He says this, but God, which is the best two words, but God... Amen? Woo! Being what? Rich in mercy. This is so exciting. Because of the great love 
with which he loved us, right? We should thank God right now for that. That's exciting. He really loves you even when you were dead. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, so here's, here with this. Satan will do everything to make sure we don't access the light of Jesus, that we don't trust in the truths of the light of Jesus, and that we don't share the light of Jesus. Um, and, and here's how demons will do it. They will do that to attempt, they will attempt to steal your communion with the light. They will constantly try to distract you from the light, from you experiencing the light of Christ, for not seeing it for what it really is. Because this is the ministry we're called to. We are called to bring a light. We're called to be lights of the world. Jesus came as light and we're called to, number three, let the light out, just let it out. And if he can keep you from being a light carrier, let me ask you this, how many of you know the moment you're beginning to like feel like loved by Jesus and you're ready to like share it or, you're, or you know you're gonna have a conversation, you're gonna have like a family dinner or whatever or you're about to be the light, you're about to do works that Jesus did or you're about to share the good news, the, the, the accuser comes and says, you're not good enough. Or, or, or like I was talking to our community group leaders yesterday and, and the newest leader, which I love her, so awesome, Tim and Sonia, but Sonia's like, man, like I didn't realize how attacked I would be the day of community group. And it's just this, yeah, like you are about to bring the light of Christ, that your light's, and of course it's coming down, of course. And, and, and the accuser goes, you're not good enough, remember your sin, your thoughts. What, you know what this tactic is? It's, it's cheap, but it, for some reason, it's, it's just trying to keep you from getting the light out because the glory of Christ does the work. The glory of God's word does the work. The cross does the work. So let me just say this with confidence and boldness, okay? The next time Satan or demons accuse you with some underlying guilt, like you can't pray, you know, you're, you, you're a lost, shameful cause, you're dumb. You know what you should say? Just say this. Just say, you know what? You're talking to the wrong department. My father handles all the complaint departments. You should talk to him. He's really good at this. Just invite the presence of the father in because it's, it's bogus. It's not from the father. Okay, he's the one who created the world. He says, let light shine out of darkness. He actually beats you on the cross, Colossians 1. Hebrews 10 says this, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance, full assurance. How much assurance? Full, full assurance with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let me just say, I think there may be some of us who are listening to the voice of shame and that's not the voice of your dad. And so you don't feel like you can draw near with an honest heart. That's a lie. You, you have his light. You have the righteousness of Jesus always applying always growing you, always forming you into the image of Jesus. So I would encourage you, if that's you, just walk into the light. That's, on, that's the key. Ask Jesus 
to come in and bring light into your shame. Like it's, it's not like a word. Like I, I'm gonna tr- do my best to try to explain this. The light of the gospel is a real living light. It can actually wash shame. But you have to come into the light, into a place where you can trust God and you can confess the stuff that you think, if people knew this about me, no one would love me. But Jesus sees it and he sees it light and washed. And so the way to walk in the light is to be able to share it, to get freedom. Because the enemy will keep pointing at that thing and say, you're not good enough. And that's not the gospel. And the Father wants to get you free from that, which is what we said last week, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so, you know, it was interesting, I... As, as many of you know, um, I often now, when I pray, will ask the Father questions, and I test it all the time, but this week, I asked him twice, and I forgot that I'd asked him the first time. I just asked him, is there anything that you want to do on Sunday? And I heard this the first time. I heard, listen to them. And the sense I got right away was that he wants to listen to us. Like, it was, it was like, come sit on my lap and just talk with me. And I even asked him, I remember, it was like, do you want us just to, like, talk to you all morning? Maybe I shouldn't preach a sermon, and we should just all, like, I'll invite your presence, and we can all just talk to you. Because maybe it's been a long time since some of you just talked to him, and he wants to listen to you. But then I was like, no, that's crazy. Let's not do that. Um, and then two, two days later, and I totally forgot about that, and the Lord brought it to mind. I asked him again. This is Thursday. I asked him, is there anything you want to do on Sunday? And I heard the same thing. And then... Just listen to them. I just, I share that with you because it's biblical that God wants to listen to us. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and cast all your burdens because I care for you. Um, But the enemy is trying to tell you that God doesn't want to hear you. And that's a lie. He loves when you talk. He loves your voice. Don't ever believe the lie that someone said your voice isn't that great. He loves it. He loves your voice. And so... By the way, you can't, you can't go beneath this. You can't listen to what Piper says about this text. There is no deeper reality and no greater value than the glory of God in Christ. There is no prize and no satisfaction beyond this. When you have this, you are at the end. You are home. The glory of God is not a means to anything greater. This is ultimate, absolute reality. All true salvation ends here, not before and not beyond. There is no beyond. The glory of God in Christ is what makes the gospel, gospel. Amen. Amen. Woo! Thank you. So, Father, thank you for this time. And I just pray now as we... We come and we sing a song and we, then we take communion and sing some more. I just ask in Jesus' name, would your light as we sing, would your light come and shine? May, may some of us experience the light. And Lord, I, just, I pray that we would believe. As 1 John 4, 16 says, that they would come to believe and know the love that God has for us. 
I just pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that they would, anything that is just hindering an open conversation with God himself, you just wash that away right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I believe that you want to just listen to us. So I pray as we sing this song, we would talk to you, even if it's out loud and other people can hear us, we wouldn't care. Because we want to be free. We're so stuck of, we, we just, we don't, we don't want to be embarrassed and live in our own self. So I, I just ask Holy Spirit that you would just even go back to that first question. If there's any, dis, any, any discouragement, would you show us the first step out? Just bring to mind the first step that your spirit is leading to get us out of discouragement. And thank you that you love holding us like a good daddy. And you love, like some of us like to talk and you love to listen. And I just, I pray that we would be light carriers. Like we would just share Jesus every, all the time. We would share what we love about Jesus. We would share what Jesus has done. We would ask, we would just be light carriers. So Holy Spirit, fill us with evangelism. Fill us with hearts that are zealous to make Jesus known so that Satan can't stand a chance because you're the one who says, let light shine out of darkness. So embolden us. I invite more of your light now. In Jesus' name, amen.